0: Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds.
1: Hello there. I hope everyone is staying warm. I'm wearing four layers, and I'm inside the house. We just went through two weeks of temperatures in the minus digits. And with the wind chill factor, we saw temperatures plummet to 25 degrees below zero for several days. Of course, I was tempted to go outside and throw a pot of boiling water into the air to watch it evaporate into a big cloud. However, despite any exciting impromptu science projects, I am not that adventurous when it comes to bone-chilling cold weather. Believe me when I say I am perfectly happy to stay indoors and watch from the window, While drinking a mug of hot cocoa, I have, however, been watching the birds. They are all puffed up trying to stay warm while perching in the dense branches of the evergreens in our yard. They have been roosting at night in the brush piles we have built in the back third of our property. Those brush piles also came in mighty handy during the snowstorm we experienced last week. We had winds in excess of 50 miles per hour, which ripped two of our wooden shutters right off the front of the house. Many of the birds in our yard safely waited out the biting high winds inside the brush piles. Anyway, I think we've got a great show for you today. Today we'll be talking about growing hedgerows and how valuable they are to the wildlife in your backyard, especially the birds. We'll also be talking with Catherine Quayle from the Wild Bird Fund in New York City about how to prevent bird collisions with glass. And now let's talk about native hedgerows and their importance to birds and other wildlife. In a previous show, we talked about thickets, which are isolated stands or islands thickly planted with native trees and shrubs that provide food and protection for birds. Today we're going to discuss the hedgerow, which is a long and wide peninsula of native trees and shrubs, typically grown along the boundaries of a property. Think long, skinny forest. What is the difference between a hedge and a hedgerow? While a hedge is usually formed out of a single species like the non-native privet, the hedgerow consists of mixed species that greatly benefit wildlife. Historically, hedgerows were used to delineate property lines and also served as protective boundaries for fields where animals like horse, sheep, and cows were pastured. Once established, a hedgerow can last for decades, even centuries. The uses of a hedgerow are many. A well-planned hedgerow can create beauty in your yard and provide privacy from neighbors. A hedgerow will muffle noise from your neighbor's yards, as well as traffic noise from the street. It will also block car exhaust from entering your yard. Hedgerows can also act as a buffer, protecting your property if a neighbor sprays harmful pesticides. Some people use hedgerows to block parking areas from view, and also to create safe children's play areas. They are very effective at absorbing and holding excess water during heavy rain events, preventing erosion. But the best part about hedgerows? They are a great way to rewild your property, since hedgerows greatly increase the biodiversity of your yard. Hedgerows are an excellent alternative to metal or wooden fences. Traditional fencing can block wildlife from gaining access into and out of a property preventing the animal from getting back to its den of young, and even sometimes forcing it out onto the street and the danger of being hit by a car. Think of the hedgerow as a living fence that wildlife can easily access and climb through during their daily hunts for food. Depending on where it is planted, a hedgerow can act as a windbreak, protecting the trees in your yard from damage and keeping nesting birds safe. With its dense branches, A hedgerow provides protection to birds from predators, like cats and raptors. For birds, there is nothing worse than trying to travel across a wide-open space like mowed lawn to reach food and their nesting sites. It is free advertising to predators and can quickly make the bird a target. You will find that planting a hedgerow on your property creates an overall calming effect on the birds in your yard, since they have ready access to food and safety. Hedgerows provide sustenance for many forms of wildlife through their blossoms, berries, seeds, sap, leaves, and twigs. Linking your hedgerow to another pre-existing hedgerow will create a wildlife corridor that can allow birds and other critters to travel and nest in safety. Locating a hedgerow near a water source will greatly increase the wildlife that visits your yard. When it comes to hedgerows, the longer the better. Hedgerows can measure anywhere from 10 to 200 feet or longer. A hedgerow typically measures from 5 to 15 feet wide. Plant shrubs 3 to 5 feet apart and trees 8 to 10 feet apart. Choose native species and don't hesitate to combine fast-growing species with slow-growing trees and bushes. Plant tall-growing plants with short-growing and combine evergreen and deciduous. Some good choices might include oak trees, roses, elderberry, hackberry, sumac, crabapple, serviceberry, black cherry, willow, viburnum, walnut, hawthorn, blackberry, dogwood, and spirea. This is a situation where bare root plants can come in very handy. Bare root plants are usually several years old, established quickly, and are already quite hardy. As an added bonus, don't hesitate to include plants that are edible to humans like blueberry bushes, creating a food forest. Once planted, keep an eye on your hedgerow for the first two to three years to make sure it gets established and receives enough water. After that, the hedgerow will take care of itself. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. And now I'd like to introduce Catherine Quayle from the Wild Bird Fund. The Wild Bird Fund is the only emergency rescue and rehabilitation center for injured birds in New York City. Last year on the evening of September 17th, 250 birds were killed when they were lured to the World Trade Center area by bright lights and flew into glass buildings. 44 more birds were found injured but alive and taken to Wild Bird Fund for treatment. And that was just one day, at one cluster of glass-encased towers, during peak fall migration. By the end of the year, Wild Bird Fund had taken in over 1,200 birds injured in window collisions. The sad truth is that with each migration, thousands upon thousands of birds never make it past New York City. Today, we will be talking about the Wild Bird Fund's new educational campaign called Bird Savers. This program aims to mobilize the community to take action to prevent birds from colliding with windows, from co-op apartment buildings to department stores to skyscrapers. The new program urges building owners to turn off lights at night and to remediate windows to make them bird-friendly. It also asks developers to build new buildings using bird-safe glass. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, this is great. Could you please tell our listeners all about Wild Bird Fund?
2: My favorite topic. Wild Bird Fund is a wildlife rehabilitation and education center in New York City. It is the only one in New York City. People often think, why does New York City need a wildlife rehab center? Actually, we see over 9,000 patients a year. So New York City really does need one. We take in birds primarily, because those are the main wildlife in New York City. But we also take in small mammals such as squirrels and opossums, a few turtles, but primarily birds. So the center was opened in 2012. It was started by Rita McMahon, who is an absolute powerhouse. She started it in her living room On the Upper West Side. And when she reached the point where she had 60 animals there, she moved it into a storefront on Columbus Avenue on the Upper West Side. And it has grown tremendously since then. We have about 30 staff members who are paid, and most of them are licensed wildlife rehabilitators. And we do also use quite a few volunteers. We have a number of vets who come in to consult several times a week and we have a vet tech
1: on staff. The reason I contacted you is I saw a report that stated that in 2021 you had nearly 1200 birds admitted to Wild Bird Fund with injuries from window strikes. Yes. That's just yes. just astounding.
2: Yes, it's astounding. That's normal. That's a normal year actually. We had about the same number in 2020 and before that it's been an average of you know, about a 1,000 a year. So unfortunately, that is a normal year. It is a very small percentage of the number of birds who collide with windows in the city. New York City Audubon estimates that that number might be as many as 230,000 a year. So the vast majority do not survive. But the ones that do and that are rescued are brought to the Wild Bird Fund.
1: Now, tell me about the injuries that they suffer. Many of them have
2: head trauma, concussions. They have fractures either to their beaks or their shoulders. They often have eye damage depending on the type of bird. Woodcocks are one of our main patients, especially in late fall, and they often have fairly severe eye damage. Those are the main things. So we always tell people if you find a bird sitting on the sidewalk and as soon as you pick it up and put it in your trusty paper bag that hopefully you have with you, it's best not to release it right away because even though the bird might be fluttering in the bag and it might seem like it's kind of shaken off the collision, that concussion, that head trauma may manifest in a couple of hours and the bird will be unable to fly and may die later. So we always like to have people bring birds to see a rehabber or into our clinic when possible.
1: So if they fly into a window if suffer a window strike, they definitely need to be seen and cleared by either a wildlife rehabilitator or a veterinarian before being released. Yes, that's our recommendation, yes. Right, I read that on September 17th that you reported 250 birds found dead in one day with 44 more live birds rescued. Yeah. It just sounds like a catastrophic amount. The World Trade Center is a collection of buildings, but there are about
2: 4 in that area that are really egregious. But the World Trade Center is I think unique in the sense that it's so brightly lit at night. That's one issue. It's a very concentrated area right on the water. And so birds that are migrating over, they are drawn to these very bright lights. They land in this area. There are not very many trees there, but the few trees that are there are right next to these brand new office towers that have these giant plate glass windows on the first floor or the second floor. And the first maybe 100 feet of the building are just pure glass. And so the birds are in these trees. They wake up in the morning and they're in these you know, very sparse trees and they see themselves surrounded by trees what they think are trees, but they're actually just the reflections. And so they just fly into these windows over and over and over. You can sit there for hours and see it happen. It's really devastating. You know, there's always one or two nights per migration season, usually in the fall, when, for whatever reason, there's been a lot of research done into this by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology in particular. The conditions are kind of perfect for a tremendous amount of birds to be flying through and with the weather conditions to be such that just so many birds will collide in one day. We call these mass collision events. You hear about them in Philadelphia, Chicago, Houston. They happen in other cities as well, but it's usually only one or two a season. And those are terrible events. That day in September was one of those this this fall. And it was extremely upsetting for the volunteers who were down there. One in particular, Melissa Breyer, who did an excellent job of documenting it, just going around and picking up all those birds. It causes a lot of kind of shock, I think, among the public, and it always gets a lot of media attention. But in fact, the kind of day-to-day, a few birds here, a dozen birds there, across the city is probably takes a much larger toll on the migrating bird populations than those big events do. I should also note, I'm sorry, I should also note that those volunteers are with New York City Audubon and New York City Audubon does a tremendous job of researching this huge problem. They have the volunteers who are out collecting the dead birds and rescuing the survivors all throughout both spring and fall migration with their Project Safe Flight program.
1: Right. Now, I worked in New York City uh, years ago, and I know that if I came into the office early, say around 530, I mean, before six o'clock, before the janitors came in, the front of the office building entrance was just littered with dead songbirds. Oh, wow. And at six o'clock, the janitor would come out and sweep them all away so the employees wouldn't get upset coming in the front door Mm -hmm. uh, and And see all these dead birds. So the only reason I knew about it is I had several instances where I had to come in early saw actually what was going on. So I don't think people in general have, because the birds are swept away, people just don't understand what a big problem it is. It's true. And the volunteers who do the
2: documentation and the pickup, they're in a race with those janitors and those custodial people to get the birds before they do. (laughs) And in many cases, there are members of those teams that will help and put the birds aside so that the volunteers can pick them up. That's a real problem, the constant cleanup.
1: So not only is it a problem during the day where the light reflecting off the glass gives birds the impression that they're seeing sky and trees, and it's also at night. So what is it about the lights at night? Is it the glare? This is still being
2: researched, and any information I have on this mostly comes from the Cornell Lab and from the American Bird Conservancy. But they do believe that the lights draw the birds in, that New York City has an unusual number of birds during migration because it's so brightly lit, and other cities do as well. And so many more birds are landing in these dangerous areas than they would normally. But the lights also disorient them. It's possible that the lights also draw them into the windows, although I'm not sure that that has been directly proven. But we do know that lights are a factor and that turning lights out at night during the time that the birds are migrating can help. And so that's often a big push of conservation organizations.
1: Now, you mentioned the World Trade Center seems to be this perfect storm. What are the elements that are contributing to the high fatalities i think that it has to do with the fact that the location
2: first of all right on the water the whole area is surrounded by water all the buildings down there are new and new buildings have a tendency to be all made of glass as opposed to some of the older buildings that you know aren't as big of a problem nearly every building that we know about in the city that's a really huge problem is fairly new And it's because that's, you know, that's kind of the architectural trend is these big panes of glass. So I think the combination of a lot of tall buildings, very bright, projecting this kind of bright beam into the sky, draws the birds in. And as I said before, there's not a lot of trees there. There's this kind of small memorial forest next to the World Trade Center Memorial. And they come and they land in those trees. And then, all around those trees is glass, just glass everywhere. So I think all of those factors are probably part of the problem, but probably someone would have to do a little bit more research on that.
1: Right. I'm sure the weather is proving a factor too. If it's foggy or overcast,
2: the weather does play into it.
1: There's a researcher at Cornell Lab,
2: Andrew Farnsworth, who does a lot of work on that, and. They have, I'm not sure if you're aware of bird cast, but they actually can predict the migration from night to night. So they know when there will be huge migration nights and they can look at the weather conditions to see how those conditions might affect these enormous numbers of birds coming through at any given time. Which is really pretty cool because it means that you could, you could predict the nights when you're likely to have huge mass collision events and make sure that the buildings turn the lights out on those nights. Unfortunately, the buildings have so far proven unwilling to do that. So <laughs> that's that's one of the biggest problems. But the data and the prediction technology has become really advanced. So yes, the weather is definitely a factor.
1: Right. And what bird species are we talking about? Well, we received,
2: I believe, 83 different species of window collision victims last year. So we're largely talking about migrating songbirds, warblers, vireos, some woodpeckers, a lot of yellow-bellied sapsuckers, white-throated sparrows, kind of all the birds that you see during the fall and spring migration, primarily fall migration, that right. in large numbers, those are the ones that are the collision victims. And the vast majority of them are teeny tiny little songbirds, but we do get you know, all year round, we get collision victims. We get red-tailed hawks. We've had a peregrine falcons and other other types of birds. But primarily, they're migrating songbirds.
1: Right. I'm just thinking, you know, your typical New York co-op. Are there certain buildings that are more amenable to turning off the lights and, and maybe using a copian bird-saving tape on windows and that type of thing? My
2: understanding is that so far there are not very many buildings who are willing to do much at all. (laughs) Unfortunately, we have put a lot of pressure. We and other partners that we work with, New York City Audubon, have put a lot of pressure on some of these buildings and they have been very slow to make any changes. As you may know, there is a law now that passed in New York City beginning of 2020 and went into effect early last year. That requires new buildings and any substantially retrofitted buildings to make the lower 75 feet of the building bird friendly, which means they have to use bird friendly glass or other materials that will prevent bird collision. So that was a huge win and will hopefully make a big difference going forward. There will not be any more of these giant glass towers going up that are not protected from birds. But in the meantime, there are many of these existing buildings that are a huge problem. The thing that we always tell people is if you live in one of these buildings or you live near one of these buildings, you just need to keep the pressure on. You need to talk to the board, you need to talk to other members and just keep pressuring people. The problem will not be going away. So eventually, I think we just, you know, we just need a few of these buildings to make some, some really notable changes and i think the trend toward being more bird friendly will eventually catch on but in the meantime it's 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 a slow process
1: so now tell me about your new bird savers program it's a public awareness
2: campaign that was launched this year and one of our board members lisa cole has been in charge of it and she has been keeping track of the various legislation that affects window collisions in new york city and gathering various people who want to know more about this and want to be more involved and sending out lots of emails and essentially just keeping people really abreast of what is going on in this area and what they can do. She's also been working with some of the buildings, speaking with some of the buildings, trying to make connections. So it's just another piece of our public awareness program that is specifically focused on preventing collisions. And Really focused on the light component as well. That's been a big topic that we haven't highlighted as much in previous years, but we've really highlighted through the Bird Savers program. A lot of our outreach is through social media. That's one of the main ways that we reach people. And that's how we got people really fired up to be involved in getting the bird-friendly materials bill passed. There were some light bills that were passed this year and social media was very effective in that way. We send out emails. We give out postcards and talk to people who come into the clinic. We work with the media. There was a huge flurry of media around the mass collision event in September. And so that's how we do the outreach.
1: I'd like to thank Catherine Quayle for joining us today. According to the National Audubon Society, one billion birds die every year in the United States from collisions with glass. There are a number of things all of us can do to prevent birds from flying into windows. Artificial light draws birds off course and disorients them. Turn off the lights at your home during the evening. Ask your employer to do the same at your place of work. If you live in a condo or apartment building, ask your building manager to install patterned glass or exterior screens and to turn off the lights. During migration, it is particularly important to make sure lights are out after 11 p.m. You can also fix problem windows. Go to the American Bird Conservancy website at abcbirds.org to find full window solutions that really work, like a copian bird tape and paracords. Make some noise. If you regularly pass a building with a known bird collision problem, contact the management or condo board. New York City Audubon has created a helpful outreach template to get you started. You can access it at nycaudubon.org. Also ask your local and state legislators to support bills that reduce light pollution. If you see a bird sitting or lying on the sidewalk, it has likely hit a window. Please pick it up, put it in a cardboard box, take it inside, and call your local wildlife rehabilitator for help. And finally, data is an important part of the solution to bird collisions. Please report any birds you find, dead or injured, to dbird.org. dbird.org is an online crowdsourcing data collection tool that contributes to ongoing research into collisions. Go to our show notes for further information on preventing bird collisions. And as a final, final end note, it should be stated here that representatives of the owners of several buildings in the World Trade Center area are saying they have already applied bird safe measures have agreed to apply them or are investigating new measures
0: join americans everywhere in the one-third for the birds movement dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young You will be rewarded with many hours of bird-watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook.
1: And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now.